0: I totally lost my train of thought. Uh, Golly, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, bad stuff happening. What's the, um...
1: Controversy? Yes,
0: controversy, and what's a more formal way of saying that? (laughs) Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. We're so glad you're here. Happy Friday, everyone. Well, that's the day we're recording it. Happy whatever day it is that you're listening to this. My name is Andy Moore, and I'm one of your hosts, joined as I am every week by two other lovely folks, Bailey Perkins. Hello.
1: Hello, Andy.
0: And Dr. Scott Nelson. Hello, sir. What's up, dude? What's up? This has been quite the week in politics, both in Oklahoma, uh, at the hyper local level, right? city, county, state and national level. I want to begin by uh, acknowledging that this week was the ninth or excuse me the 100th anniversary of the 19th amendment, the ratification of that amendment, which of course uh, was women's suffrage giving women the right to vote. It is also worth acknowledging that that did not give all women the right to vote because of course, African Americans were barred from voting for several more decades. Uh, as well as several other classes of of people who can now vote. Uh, and so I uh, want to highlight that. Also, this week, I think the next day, um, that was on Tuesday, and then I believe on Wednesday was the 62nd anniversary of the Clara Luper... Excuse me, I can't talk today. ...was the 62nd anniversary of the Clara Luper sit-ins, which, of course... Um, was part of the civil rights movement here in Oklahoma City?
1: Well, it started the sit-in movement across the country. Right. And so it was the first sit-ins that happened. And it inspired what happened at the Woolworth lunch counter um, about a year later in North Carolina. And so it was really a pivotal time um, in activating people within the civil rights movement for that form of um, civil rights and nonviolent protests.
0: That's right. The the sit-ins in Oklahoma city started earlier and lasted longer than they did anywhere else. Most and it, all,
1: it led to the desegregation of the cat's drugstore lunch counters, not just in Oklahoma, but within that region. And so Clara Luper utilized 13 young people. So that's what another element that made it significant. You had uh, folks as young as I believe six, mm-hmm. seven years old, mm-hmm. um, participating from the Oklahoma City NAACP Youth Council. Um, And then you had several others over time who participated in that sit-in. We had the pleasure with a project I've been working with, Black Women Voices, to interview a few women who participated in that sit-in. One was an original sit-inner and the daughter of Claire Looper, Marilyn Looper Hildreth, and a couple of others were sit-iners who were also, one of them talked about uh, the experience of being arrested during that uh, sit-in movement. But I mean, their work and their bravery, you know, led to people like me being able to be in spaces that I, I couldn't have been decades ago. So I'm certainly grateful to, to hear from their living history um, and how far we're, continuing to move. And then on Tuesday, uh, no, I'm sorry, Wednesday, I had the chance to join Congresswoman Horn on her podcast talking about the ratification of the 19th Amendments, the significance of the centennial, and how far we have to to go even then. So it really is a week of a lot of history. Yeah. Um, It's been special.
0: I didn't know that that our Congresswoman has a podcast? Yeah, I was
2: going to say, she, uh, <laughs> Congresswoman Horn has did a I,
1: podcast? Did I, say, did I say podcast? You Not did. Bad. Not bad. a podcast? It was a misspeak. It was no. a town hall. Oh,
3: oh right. right. It, was
0: it was still
1: a virtual town hall that she does weekly uh, on her Facebook page. Oh, right. And I believe she does it through Zoom, but it, it shows live through Facebook. And so uh, each week she has a different topic. Um, That matters to the constituents within uh, Congressional District 5. And so for this week, she focused on the centennial of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. And so she invited myself to speak on behalf of the Oklahoma Women's Coalition, because I serve as vice chair of that organization's board. Uh, She invited Sarah Brown, um, who is a commissioner for the Oklahoma Commission for the Status of Women um, and also works for the Second Fox Nation, to talk Mm. from. The lens of um, Oklahoma women and the role that they played even before the ratification of that amendment and how forward um, Oklahoma was with allowing women to participate in areas of public service and voting. Um, And then tribes in that lens of how women from tribal communities were participating in elections well even before um, the fight for suffrage. And so that was a really neat element. And of course, having the voice of Marilyn Looper Hildreth talking about where we have to go and sharing her wisdom from being one of the original sit inners and being the daughter of Claire Looper. So.
0: Yeah, it's outstanding. Yeah, I mean, I guess in this day and age where we're all working remotely and streaming meetings and town halls, basically we all have a podcast, yeah. right? Every, I mean, everything is a it feels podcast.
1: People like it. Yeah. The, the,
0: the system, <laughs> so we use, as I think our listeners know, we use StreamYard um, right now for our recording to do it there's other options crowdcast is a great option or squadcast squadcast is a great option and we may go back to that but uh, i use the same platform for all kinds of things and uh, you can use zoom for all of that
2: we're just- i was uh, i was on a board meeting last night and um it was you know zoom <laughs> and uh, we we're chatting before we, like, you know kind of gaveled in and got started somebody's like melson what what is your this is a fancy Zoom setup you have going on <laughs> and they're like, you do you is this what you just use for all of your all of your meetings? And I was like, Well it is. That's not that's not why I have it. But they're like, you def you definitely have the highest sound quality of any of the participants in our meeting. And I was like, Well, I hope so. Right. <laughs> that's all, when all you have to go on is sound and video, it makes sense to
0: put our resources there. Not my wardrobe. Yeah. I'm wearing like a running shirt and shorts because I'm hoping I'm, I'm willing myself to go for a run after this. Scott is what? wearing a Let's Fix This t-shirt, which is very on brand. Well done.
1: Well, hopefully this won't get us too off track, but it's interesting that we went from everything being Skype and that being almost a verb <laughs> to now Zoom yeah. being like the verb of all of the, the video conferencing type of platforms. So.
0: Oh, man. that's Bailey, you hit the nail on the head. I haven't even thought about that. But Skype was like a ubiquitous term, as as many good brands are, right? Kleenex, yeah. Uber, Google, Google, all these things. Right. But I haven't heard the name Skype in months. Well, I guess it got bought by Microsoft, and they've got Microsoft Teams that they're really promoting now. But um, yeah, what a how how quickly they may fall. Right. All right. Well, speaking of virtual formats and doing everything virtually, we're going to start off by talking a little bit about the Democratic National Convention, which happened this week. Then we're going to talk about Oklahoma County stuff. Man, that's been a mess. The county, the Board Thanks. of County Commissioners, and the jail trust and all that jazz. Uh, then we'll talk about Congressional District Five, the runoff between Terry Neese and Stephanie Bice. We're four days debate.
1: away from that. That's runoff. right.
0: Oh yeah, and let's start there, Bailey. As a reminder, listeners, we are recording this on the 21st, so in just four days, the 25th is the next uh, election. It is a runoff election for a lot of state races. However, it is also like a municipal election in a, a lot of cities. There's lots of stuff that may be on the ballot, regardless of what your party is, right? And so if you're not that's sure... That's why
1: you need to check That's right. elections.ok.gov.
0: That's right. You should... Definitely go to elections.ok.gov and log in to the online voter tool, and you can view your ballot, and it'll tell you if you have one or not, because you don't want to miss an election, particularly, I mean, anytime, but particularly this year, and and because there's so many little things. In fact, I just saw earlier uh, that Oklahoma City, I think just this week, has approved, maybe it was last week, that Oklahoma City has recently approved a number of changes to the city's charter, which is like the constitution for the city. And those changes will be on the ballot in November. So here we are just, you know, not even less than a hundred days from the election and super important things are still being added to the ballot. And so this is why you've got to pay attention. If you haven't already registered to vote absentee for November, there's still time. There's not time to register for the August runoff, but for November there is. And just as a word, we'll talk a lot more about this between now and then. But just because you receive an absentee ballot doesn't mean you have to vote absentee. You can still vote in person if you would like, uh, and and but it gives you the option that way, right? To be flexible there. Also, it serves as a great reminder that there's an election coming up because you get the ballot in the mail, and it gives you time to read through all the items on the ballot. And so there's a lot of benefits to registering to vote absentee, even if you don't actually vote that way.
1: And Andy, thank you for bringing that up. That's an important point that people have to keep in mind this election cycle. We focus a lot on the race for president and vice president of the United States at the federal level, but there's going to be state questions on that November ballot. There's going to be municipal matters that you just described on that ballot. And so regardless of how you feel about um, the 2020 presidential race, you need to show up to vote on the things that are going to affect you right here in your backyard, because those things are also going to be on your ballot. So.
2: That's right. All politics is local. One one thing that I do think we should mention since we're, we're on the subject is there's a lot of stuff going on with the post office right now. Like, some of it could be shenanigans. Some of it may be stuff that's been coming for a long time. But like, regardless of where it's coming from, um, what seems to be clear is this. If you are going to vote by mail, and I want to emphasize you should um, unless you feel comfortable wearing a mask and social distancing and trying to vote in person, um, you need to request your ballot like now. Right. Like go Don't wait online. until the deadline. Yeah. Go online now and just say, I want my absentee ballots for the rest of the year for any election. They'll send them to you. They send them to you like weeks and weeks in advance. You can fill it out. You can turn it back in weeks and weeks in advance. Do not wait until the last minute to request or turn in your absentee ballot. The deadline is a week before. If you wait until a week before, you will not Get your ballot in time, and if you get it, even if you get it, if you get it far enough in advance of the election, but you wait and like turn it in, um, like try to send it in like two days before the election. There's a real chance your ballot won't be counted because in Oklahoma, it is not that it has to be postmarked by the date of the election. The election board has to have it by 7 p.m. the night of the election. If it comes after that, then it won't be counted. So you need to request your ballot and turn your ballot in as soon as possible in order to ensure that your vote is counted. That's right. And you can turn them in in person if you'd like. Yes, you can, dr- you, you don't have to out. mail them.
1: Only you though. Oh yeah, if that's what I was gonna say. Your friends, it has really, to only
2: really me. important. Yeah. You cannot go around to your friends and get their ballots and take them all and drop them off together at the election board. That is not legal to do in Oklahoma. It's called something, there's a name ballot, for it. Ballot, ballot harvesting. harvesting. Yeah, called ballot harvesting, which is not legal in Oklahoma. So you have to turn it in, okay? I, And I appreciate you
1: giving space for this, Andy, because it is important for our listeners to to pay attention to. Uh, I was a poll worker for the previous election, so that primary election in June, and we had several people who came up to the polling place and they had an envelope in their hand that said, hey, I have this ballot what can I do with it? Cause I got it so late. <laughs> and you, if you get an absentee ballot, you still can vote in person. Um, but there were so many people who received their ballots too late to mail it in. And then, um, I saw on David Glover's Facebook page, some data from the Oklahoma County election board that said that there were about 4.6% of ballots that were mailed in that were rejected. Mm-hmm. So we're talking 34,000 ballots that were returned in Oklahoma County for a number of reasons. And so that's pretty significant. And it's because we've had a record number of people voting by mail. Um, And so there's a whole lot that a lot of Oklahomans are learning in this process, but please, 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 as Scott mentioned, do not wait until that deadline, take some time um, now in the month of September to make sure that you have your absentee ballot with you so that you have ample time to fill it out and get it in because you can check on the uh, state election board's website when you go to that voter profile and you'll see when your your ballot has been submitted and received by the election board. Yeah. So don't wait till the last minute.
2: And hopefully we've talked about this enough on the show um, over the years that this won't be a surprise to anyone's listening, but for the love of all that is good and pure, please, please, please vote, right? Please vote. Do y'all know, I heard an incredible stat this week. Um, the presidential election in 2016 in Wisconsin, uh, president Trump won Wisconsin by like something like, I want to say like 70, 80,000 Like It was not, it was not like very much. It was a very slim margin. Might have been less than that. It might have been like twenty thousand, but that was it. Came down to, a, about two votes per precinct. Yeah, two votes per precinct across the state would change the outcome of a presidential election in an environment similar to two thousand and sixteen. So I'm not telling you who to vote for, but I'm telling you to please vote. Yeah.
0: Well, and I'll I will admit on the podcast I've not said this publicly, but my ballot in June was one of those that was rejected in Oklahoma County. And I have a weird sense of shame about that. Um, the So I got a letter on July 31st, so a month after the election, that said, sorry, your ballot was rejected due to reason. And the reason cited was uh, that the affidavit, like the envelope, was not signed. And so I didn't notarize it. I submitted a copy of my voter ID card. In fact, I requested an extra copy of my voter ID card from the county election board and sent that in with it. So they, you know, they knew they sent me the ballot. They knew they received my ballot. They knew I attached my ID to it. And allegedly, I didn't sign the envelope. Now, I'm not entirely certain about that because my wife voted absentee and we did it at the same time. And I even made a video about it um, using my ballot. And so I went back to look at that and I didn't do every single step on video. And now I wish I had. Um,
1: it's but, a complicated process for Oklahoma. Well, it's complicated, so.
0: and and uh, but I feel like as someone who is I don't know highly engaged in this process and has been fighting for absentee voter reform in Oklahoma to make it easier, the fact that mine wasn't counted like was a bit of a gut punch. And as I told a few people, everyone was like, "Oh man, I'm sorry." Like even my wife was like, "Oh, I'm sorry." And and so. I, like, realize like, this isn't a game, right? Like, voting is not a game. You're not like, oh, whoops, I'll try again next time, Uh, which I will, but when things are close, right? Like, I mean, in Oklahoma, Medicaid expansion was really close, way closer than I think the Yes on 802 campaign thought it was going to be. And and so when it comes down to elections and, like, presidents and your representation, people that are going to be in office for years or that are going to be a change for, for, you know, for years to come it's important to make sure your vote gets counted now that is not i do not share that to dissuade anyone from voting absentee i share that because it's real and it happened and that well you need you've got to be diligent yeah yeah read the instructions take time make sure you did it right if you have any uncertainty ask you know about it and double check your, your work county
1: election board that's what they're there for like right. you can call and ask those questions because you don't want to be in that position of of not being able to vote like that's that's hard especially yeah. when you care and you want your vote to count so yeah. take your time do it early
3: so I'm,
0: I'm talking to some folks to find out like i would like to view my envelope i don't know if they retain them long enough that you can do that because they don't tell you till a month later and so I was like, I really would like to know to see it with my own eyes. If I didn't sign it, that seems I know un- they don't unlikely. Throw
1: away but ballots, but I don't know if they throw away envelopes. right? Like That's, I don't questions. know either.
2: If it question. was rejected, they should keep it. I feel like so to verify, so you can track it. But um, one th- other thing I'll say, the last plug is if you do vote absentee, you can track your ballot status on the state election board website, so you can track like it's been mailed out, it's been received. Um, it's it's really pretty cool. So. Um, if you want to know exactly where your ballot is in the process, that information is available to you. So yeah. everybody let's, uh, let's crash the election board website this week because everybody's getting on uh, requesting their absentee ballots.
0: Don't, don't freak them out, Scott, just listeners. The website is secure. Don't worry about that. We
1: have because the most secure elections saying, in the country. Don't, we yeah, do. don't be scared about and it. And I'm not, I'm not saying,
2: I'm secure. not saying hack it. I'm saying like, there's, there's traffic. Like let's have, 100,000 people request absentee ballots. That's all I'm saying.
0: We, there was a record number that requested them in the last election. It was 323,000 or something. It was a lot. Um, anyway, on that note, let's move ahead to the actual thing. We said we're going to talk about this now, and then we talked about the election instead. And that thing is, this week was the Democratic National Convention. We officially have a Democratic candidate for president, Joe Biden, and his running mate, uh, Kamala Harris, my and sorority
1: sister was so she really to throw that out there you
0: guys, same sorority
1: in fact, she made a shout out during her speech to um historically Black colleges University because she's a graduate of Howard University. yeah, and then she said family is Alpha Kappa Alpha, which is the organization that I'm a yeah. member of. and so that made a lot of us feel special
0: That's cool so. well in and, and the the Greek life is not a world that I'm familiar with, but from what I understand, particularly like at historically black colleges, like it has like those roots run deep and those ties are strong. And it's, it's a
1: lifetime membership. So yeah. like we are involved from the time that you're initiated, whether that's in a uh, undergraduate setting or in a graduate chapter through the rest of your life when you're considered what we call an IV beyond the wall after you pass away. And so mm-hmm. you're you're a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha for life. So we're that's all cool. proud to, to see that history happen.
3: Yeah.
0: So the Democratic uh, National Convention was, of course, not held in person. It was streamed live, which is a very different format for something. So they, you know, any convention has to do the pomp and circumstance of speeches. It also has to do the official party business. And as, as a reminder, because I think the this roll is,
1: call for states that yeah. everybody loves.
0: And I think it's important to remember that political parties are basically private clubs, right? They're private organizations that have their own rules. I mean, they have to follow the law, but within that, they have their own rules for how they do things. The The two parties do a lot of things the same, but they do some things differently. And how they go about choosing their representation or their candidates is a private process, right? And so um, it is, I think, conventions are an interesting look in, you know, behind the veil to inside to see how these these private groups do their thing um, as someone who is not a member of either party at this time. Like it's uh, it seems weird that there are private clubs on the national stage that millions of people are watching pick, pick their person. Um,
1: well, know. And oftentimes um, we run into situations where the, the candidate is, it's, it's known who that candidate is going to be mm-hmm. before the, convention happens. And so this was one of those years. I went to a convention back in 2012, which is a really interesting experience because in normal circumstances, um, whatever city is picked and it typically has to be one of those like top 10 to 15 largest cities in the country because it has to be able to fit, you know, probably like a hundred thousand people. Right. Um, from all over the country who attend, whether it's the Republican National Convention or the Democratic National Convention, and I mean it's it's a good time as far as so many vendors being there, from the different speakers who are brought in to participate, all the way through like the pomp and circumstances that we saw of each state doing their roll call. Each state has you know a number of delegates that are selected to cast their votes for certain candidates, and so. Um, This is one of those years where it was more formality than selecting a candidate. And that's going to be the same thing when the RNC happens um, in a few weeks because the sitting president is the incumbent. And it's rare to see the party in power pick somebody outside of being the incumbent. And so um, it's an interesting time for people to have seen that process, but also in a new way of like, not having all of those folks together in one venue um, or in, in collective spaces and just being able to watch it through a Zoom where the entire country, regardless of what party you're a part of, <laughs> got to be a part of this experience. So uh, did you that's guys? thing.
2: Did you guys watch it or watch watch any of it or most of it or some of it? What did you guys? I, I watched I, pieces. Yeah, I just I watched Michelle Obama's piece and that was it. I watched every minute of it all four days. Um, and I got to tell you, because I, I'm, I mean, obviously like I'm here doing this, talking about it with y'all. I'm a political junkie nerd person. And so I love this stuff. So I watch them. Um, I, I, I tweeted last night that I watch the conventions every year. And then I was like, Hey, Nelson, there's not a convention every year. <laughs> but like every time they happen, like every four years, I watch the conventions. Um, um And I got to say... I, I have like a memory of watching every convention since 2004. And I remember 2004. Cause that's when president Obama spoke on the national stage for the first time. And it was incredible. Um, I like this one the best, like by far, like, like it's not even close. Like, cause usually what happens is like, you know, you have like, they basically give like every, every elected person who wants two minutes to get up in front of the convention, And say something they do. And there's a lot of like punditry and a lot of going back and forth to like, you know, what the CNN hosts are saying to each other and what the MSNBC hosts are saying to each other. And then like, you know, there'll be a video and they'll cut to commercial. And so you really don't like see a lot of the goings on, right? Like even in the primetime programming, a lot of it is like critiquing by cable TV hosts and then the main speech at the end of the night. But this... Because there wasn't that, um, we got to see a lot of this stuff. Like, we got to see – I mean, like, last night, um, they had an inc- an absolutely incredible video um, that was a tribute to the late Congressman John Lewis um, that will bring you to tears. I mean, it was it was incredible. Well, and there um, was a beautiful
1: tribute to former Senator John McCain and yeah. his relationship with um, – vice president Biden. And so that was really special too. To yeah. Those. Um,
2: I mean, there was so much, there was a, a video with a young man. Um, I don't know his last name, but he's 13. His name is Brayden, um, who a uh, vice president Biden met on the campaign trail in New Hampshire. Um, and he went to Brayden's was meeting some of the kids. And he said, uh, Brayden, you know something, you and I have something in common where we're both members of the same club. Brayden said, what's that? And he says, we both stutter. And he talked to this kiddo about the things he did as a child to overcome his stutter. Um, and Braden gave a speech last night um, as part of a series of speeches introducing the vice president before he accepted the, the nomination, um, talking about his stutter and that experience of meeting the vice president. And if you didn't like have tears in your eyes watching that, then you don't have a human heart. Um, it's like it was... I mean, just this, there's been like so much of the convention this week because it wasn't people all in one and under one roof and because there wasn't as much kind of pomp and circumstance. I would say that aside from like, you know, Michelle Obama, President Obama, uh, Vice President Biden and Senator Harris, other than the four of them as kind of the keynote speakers each night, the main, like the star of this convention was like the American people, like it was regular people from all over the country talking about the way the pandemic has affected them, what they want to see from government, what they want to see from our politics, the vision that they have of the country moving forward. Now, of course, all of this was like in the context of electing Joe Biden president. Let's not kid ourselves. Like there was a unifying message here. But man, it was awesome. Like it was, it was awesome.
1: Like, and, and I won't say a critique, but more so of like one of the positive aspects that was lifted um, about the convention this year was the diversity of voices that were given this platform to be able to talk about a shared vision. And so one of the things that's been constantly talked about, even with the um, the state roll call introductions, you had uh, people from an assortment of Racial backgrounds and disabilities, and um, you have people from rural parts of the country and urban parts of the country. You had um, just so many different pieces to the fabric of what makes America what it is, and um, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in the D I mean, with the RNC uh, next week if they have that level of attention to who they're including and giving the microphone to and having that space to speak.
0: Yeah. I, um, I just dropped an article in the chat for you guys to read, but I, and I'll post it in the show notes, but it's an article from the BBC, of course, the British broadcasting company about the, the Republican national convention next week and what to expect. And the first question is what is the RNC uh, or the convention? And I just like the outside perspective of someone from another country reporting on our, Convention process and what to expect out of this i'm gonna go find i'm sure they wrote one about the dnc as well I'm gonna go find that one and read it. It was very interesting I I think the virtual format definitely has its pros and cons and it will be Super interesting to see how the two parties contrast um, In their approach to this. I believe the RNC will have some in-person components still uh, And so we'll wait and find i'm sure i'll watch some of it last week or next week I will well, say, and I
1: wonder, too, will there even be as many Democratic speakers as there were Republican speakers at this DNC? That's I mean, what I was going to say. Kanchich, you had John Kasich, you had Colin Powell, uh, you had just so many powerful, reputable, moderate Republican voices at this convention.
0: Yeah, it, it was, uh, as as many things in 2020, it was unprecedented in several ways. All right. Well, let's, uh, zoom way down from the national level down to the county level. Oklahoma County Board of County Commissioners has made the news. I feel like almost every day or every other day for the last couple of weeks. A quick recap is the, they had, uh, 40, $35 million in CARES Act money that they received federal money to, to use in their county for coronavirus related
1: 47 million
0: yeah that's right so they received 47 million but they were going to make it they made a decision about 35 or 34 million of that and um the budget board which consists of the three county commissioners and some other people voted five to three to Mm -hmm. send that money to the jail oklahoma county jail trust basically give that money to the jail and then protests started right people were showing up trying to do public comment when it was made available and uh, they it
1: wasn't at first that was due to the public pressure because of the critique that you ran this through and you didn't allow for the public to weigh in on how those dollars were spent. But Andy, before you go into more of that explanation, I want to give a little bit of more pre-context as to why the decision was made to spend it on just County level, um, needs. Mm -hmm. Um, The district attorney is considered the attorney for the Oklahoma County. And the interpretation for how the funds could be used um, is dependent upon the attorney general. I mean, not the attorney general, but the district attorney's interpretation. Uh, Because one of the things that could happen is if they decide to not go with the attorney, I mean, the I keep wanting to call him attorney general. the The district attorney's opinion, they could be, you know, charged for whatever if if it's deemed illegal what they're doing. So one of the interpretations that the DA had with the CARES Act funds for the county was, state statute doesn't allow for CARES Act dollars to be spent on things that are outside of the purview of Oklahoma County. So that's how he interpreted how those funds could be spent. Uh So they already started with a limited scope of what you could do with those funds. And then with that, you had, um, the proposal from commissioner Calvi that said, well, since we can only spend it on things relevant to the County, Let's put it all in the jail trust.
0: <laughs> right. Well, it came from the court clerk or the county clerk first, Rick Warren, and then he ended up like not running it. So then Calvi picked it up, of course. Right. And they, right. they put it on the agenda anyway. And then at the meeting, he's like, yeah, yeah, it's mine. Um, because
1: other counties and municipalities did not spend their money in this way. This is very unpleasant because even Tulsa received uh-huh. Tulsa County received over a hundred million dollars of CARES Act funds. And they created programs that allow different community organizations and businesses and wherever there's need to apply for funds to be able to tap into those CARES Act funds. Right.
0: Which is what a lot of organizations and businesses in Oklahoma County anticipated would happen. And then when the rug got pulled out from underneath those plans, they were, you know, I'm sure many of them were counting on the fact that they would be able to apply For this large pot of money, because that was the
2: plan, like that was the intent, right? The intent was not for this to go to the jail, and it's not even clear it's legal for it to go to the jail, right? So one of the things that they've said that they're going to spend this on is paying salaries, um, salaries and bonuses back to March. Well, by law, you can't use CARES Act funding for uh, expenses that have already been budgeted. So like that, like you can't use it for that, right? And then if they can't spend all of this um, by December. If you can't spend all this by December, then we have to give the money back. Um, Oh, and by the way, um, Commissioner Calvey, whose grand idea this was to give all the money to the jail trust, um, Commissioner Calvey happens to also sit on the jail trust. Um, So that's... Is is he the only... Sorry, yes. He's the only commissioner on the jail trust, yeah. Well,
1: because the commissioners have to vote on who would represent the commissioners on that trust and Calvey was elected two to one to be on that trust. Because
2: he voted for himself and Mon voted for him, right? Wasn't
0: the mm-hmm. trust his idea also in the first place, <clears throat> back when they I, started that? I
1: think that? He's, he was definitely involved in that process.
0: Yeah, um, So there's e. just
1: a lot of questions, but I will say Commissioner Bloomert had been there on the front lines um, since the beginning, fighting for um, transparency in the process but also thinking through and allowing public opinion to weigh in how those funds should be delegated and spent. So,
0: yeah, so what happened this week with that is that it came down to the so the budget board so okay, first of all, all of these boards are like largely the same people or there's overlap with them.
1: The so budget board is just all of the county elected officials.
0: All 8 or 9 of them, yeah. Which mm-hmm. so it's so those people voted to send the money to the jail trust. But then it had to go. So it's basically a recommendation to the board of county commissioners to do that. And then the county commissioners have to actually approve it. Right. As a reminder, there's three county commissioners. And so the meeting was, was set to start Um, at (laughs) 9am, 9am commissioners, Calvi and Mon were seated. Commissioner Blumert was in the hallway talking to some constituents (laughs) and was coming in at 901. At nine oh one, Commissioner Calbee said, meeting's in, here's the vote, we vote, boom, meeting's over. And closed it. It was like a 45-second meeting before Commissioner Bloomer even had a chance to sit in her chair. And so two votes and Andy, to like, do it, and then I guess it was 2-0. And he was like, I don't know if it's 2-1 to one or 2-0, to zero, but it passes.
1: Well, and Commissioner Bloomer did an interview, I believe it was with KOCO, I believe, Uh, But with one of the news stations, and she said that typically the protocol is that all the commissioners wait for the other commissioners and they start with the Pledge of Allegiance and they start with, um, I don't know if it's prayer or there's something else. It's like Pledge of Allegiance is something else in a formality and then they begin the meeting. So typically it's 9.05, 9.10 before they get into the business. Um, And because...
2: And also, how much public
1: attention has been getting on to this? The vote was rushed right in in a way that's unprecedented for these three commissioners.
2: Yeah. And this vote, like this, this was agenda item 22 on their agenda. (laughs) Right. Um, And uh, Commissioner Calvi said, we're going to skip ahead to item 22, called the vote. They voted and then dismissed the uh, meeting. And didn't address the other issues. Yeah.
1: They normally allow commissioners to ask questions and get information. And mm-hmm. so Commissioner Bloomer said her chief was in that meeting and they weren't allowing him to even ask questions on the commissioner's behalf. So there were a lot of intentional efforts to rush this vote without deliberation.
0: Yeah. And so it was clear this was the plan from the get go. Right. And which begs the question. Does that mean that Calvi and Mon had planned this out ahead of time? If so, that's illegal. <laughs> For two county commissioners to be meeting because that's a quorum, okay. and um, so so I know some people are looking into that. Um, and secondly, like even if they didn't, like let's say they somehow had not already planned this out, they got there. Calby did it. Mon, of course, is on board with it, and they pushed it through. It's a bad look. Like it is, it's a bad look, and I think for most people, I I think it is. It degrades the public's trust in them and the institution of our county government, which is (laughs) county-level government in Oklahoma is not unblemished by controversy uh, and scandal.
2: And um, corruption.
0: And corruption. Like, there's a long history in that. And this is the kind of thing that feeds that narrative and perpetuates that same scandal, right, and controversy. So, um,
1: Especially when you have engaged residents who want to be a part of this process, who are asking questions and they're being intentionally shut out. There's another element to even the story of a Black reporter for the Black Wall Street Times yeah, just that the black wanted Times. to... The Black Times, okay. That wanted to be a part of the press conference and hearing, you know what Calvi's perspective is on the vote that happened and things that were going on. Um, and that particular reporter was pushed out of the meeting. And the reason they said was because that particular reporter did not have press credentials. However, from the other reporters that were also there, they were echoing on Twitter saying, hey, I don't see how this is true because we weren't asked for our credentials. Mm-hmm. We yeah. weren't asked to show anything and, and, so, and those are, and
2: they're not required.
1: And well, they're not required. A, so it's not it's, a
2: thing. Yeah,
1: it's so not like back in the, the day, yeah. right? It feeds into the very thing that you were talking about, Andy. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. then
2: right before that, right before he had excluded Ty, who's the reporter from the from the meeting, he shoved Chad Whitehead out through the door, like shoved him through the door. I don't know if he shoved,
0: but he definitely he touched him and pushed him a little bit or held him there. That but like, regardless. Him the idea that a county official laid hands on mm-hmm. another person to keep them out of a a press conference with and the and it was media recorded
1: is, like there's there's video right. footage of that very thing taking yeah. place so it just it looks bad all the way around in, right. like, and commissioner Calvi's
2: response to this is to say that he will not be bullied and he's not going to pay hush money to bullies that's a quote especially <laughs> using taxpayer dollars <laughs>
0: Push money to bullies, yeah, okay. Um, well, and so today, right when we started, was an awesome guy. When we, today, when we started recording, um, the top story on the Oklahomans website is that Commissioner <laughs> Calvi has a challenger for his next election, which isn't for two years, it's in 2022. But Khaki Porch, um, who's a local filmmaker, uh, an actress, and as a friend of the pod, she's been on the podcast a couple of times, um, and so. She is planning to – she's announced that she's running against him uh, in 2022, largely because of his antics over the last few weeks. And so I suspect she will not be the only person that challenges his seat. Um, but that was – when I pulled up the Oklahoma to prepare for the podcast and saw her face, I was like, whoa, okay, this has escalated. Uh, I do want to add one tiny clarification, and I think we should – we'll have a guest on in a in – a, future episode to talk more about this, but I've gotten a lot of questions um, regarding the the disallowing of public comment during these meetings, and, and isn't that a violation of the law, basically, is the question. And this is me wearing my freedom of information Oklahoma hat. Technically, the short answer is it's not against the law. The Open Meetings Act does not require that public bodies have public comment. What we've seen with the shift to virtual meetings from in-person meetings is that public bodies, like let's say a city council that used to offer public comment and now is not, that change um, by changing formats is, is questionably legal at best, um, but certainly frowned upon. But the idea that a public body has to offer public comment is not technically required by the law. Now, as a matter of principle, and in I think good of this spirit of the law, it makes a lot of sense. Like, I get it. I've tried to run public forums before, or I've I, not tried to, I've done it. It is difficult. It is arduous. Sometimes you get folks that disagree with you, and they want to say their piece. And part of this exercise in democracy is listening to people that disagree with you and letting them have their space. And I don't know, being willing to receive that information. So...
1: And and that's one thing I miss about even my time working in Arkansas. I worked for a advocacy organization for a couple of years there and their legislature allows for public testimony and comment on legislation in their committee process. And that was a great opportunity to hear multiple perspectives on issues to ensure that, there's no blinders on how policies are being crafted, that different perspectives are being considered, but most importantly, that those perspectives are on public record, right? Um, and Oklahoma should definitely consider having those protocols in place, whether it's at the local state or federal level, especially for moments like this, because if there was like genuine opportunity for public input. I believe the the jail trust had a moment of public comment, but that was due to the rising pressure and frustration from the public. Um, a lot of this could have been averted if public input was allowed.
0: Right, yeah, they, they to their credit, the jail trust held a listening session basically where they they, it was only public comment. They weren't voting on anything. They were only there to listen. And I was like, hey, we, maybe we should all do more of this. This is a good thing, right? Like, listen first, then act. Okay, so we're getting short on time. We haven't talked about COVID yet this week because we're all sick of thinking about COVID, I think. But there was some significant information that came out this week. Uh, as I think most listeners know, Dr. Deborah Burks, who's on the White House Task Force, came to Oklahoma and a few other states and held a meeting that was not open to the public, a roundtable with the governor, mayors. Um, they did not allow county, city-county health department officials to come. They only allowed state health department officials to come. And Joy Hoffmeister from the Department of Education was there. And the reports out of that meeting varied widely from the governor to Hoffmeister and others. And the governor said that Dr. Burke said it's all good. No recommendations. Oklahoma's fine. However, um, we have since learned that the White House task force has, you know, still been producing information. And while they're not releasing these to the public like they once were, the Center for Public Integrity has been,
2: and because they've been because they've been getting leaked, right? Like someone, right, someone is leaking them to Center for Public Integrity, yeah. who is now publishing them. All, all, all over the country and provided them to journalists in uh, the affected localities. Yeah, so
0: Oklahoma's list and contains 11 bullet points of things we should do including a statewide mask mandate, <laughs> closing bars, <gasps> um, you know, no gatherings larger than 10.
1: And, <gasps> Dr. Melson is so surprised.
2: I can't believe this. I'm shocked. I'm shocked, I say. To find out that there are recommendations for what we could be doing to better control our outbreak, I I don't I don't know where that could
1: have come from. And Andy is really fascinating because the meeting was closed off when Dr. Burks came to the public and media, and so there were select statewide lawmakers and elected officials um, and some uh, local elected officials as well who were invited to that meeting, and so the governor released pictures from the meeting and said, yep, we had a great meeting and they applauded yeah. Oklahoma for the efforts we were taking. Um, and then you also had tweets from Superintendent Hoffmeister that said they had conversations about things Oklahoma should be doing. And so it was really fascinating to see the difference between what was being reported to us by Governor Stitt and then the recommendations that we're hearing um, from this list that the Center for Public Integrity has been reporting.
2: Yeah. And like, you know, I mean, it's it's really, this has been kind of a, a drip to drip, drip all week of more and more information. So we're looking at these documents, um, uh, Center for Public Integrity, and I think actually it may be State Impact, um, has been sending these around to um mayors and commissioners of counties and municipalities around oklahoma showing them like this is what would be recommended for your your city based on based on your number of cases and like uh, apparently this is reporting from katherine sweeney um on twitter but like i mean the guyman city manager um of from guyman oklahoma was like um what the hell like why have they not been telling us this like we haven't heard like we haven't heard this at all mayor holt has said that they haven't gotten this information mayor bynum has said they haven't gotten this information and i'm sorry it's not state impact it's uh public radio tulsa oh, public yeah. radio Tulsa that's been that's been doing this but um i mean it it certainly it certainly seems like there are specific and directed recommendations coming from the federal government to our state leaders and our state leaders are both not following those and Um, also not sharing those with the public or leadership around the state, which is um, both of both of which is a problem.
1: Brianna Bailey from um, Frontier, the Frontier. Thank you so much. My my brain is just (laughs) going numb today. Um, Made that very comment on Twitter of like, why isn't this information being shared with the public? Like, why isn't this getting out? Because it is important, especially if we are truly interested in slowing the spread, reducing our COVID cases, and making sure you know fewer Oklahomans have to go through you know our hospital systems, and so um, it's interesting that there's so much attention towards controlling the message, to where it could be detrimental to the health and well-being of Oklahomans.
0: Yeah. Well, and we'll end. There's another 349 cases today the trend continues it, it 349 peaked. it was over 1000 today wasn't it did they not update the website oh sorry i was looking at how many active cases <laughs> i was like uh, i think it was like 1000 new cases today bro <laughs> let me back up so well we in there was another 1000 new cases today we are officially over 50,000 cases in oklahoma now um, 715 deaths in total the pandemic continues while it looks like the seven day average um you know it kind of reached a big peak in late july early august and it's it's gone down somewhat um, the last few days it has certainly ticked back up and school is starting so um not ideal please wear a mask socially distance when you can stop going to bars i i hate it like i would love to go to a bar you have no idea how much i want to go out and have someone else make me a drink I'd love to see Bailey and Scott in person sometime again. That would be lovely as well. Talk to one another without like this this gnawing anxiety about what is happening, which is what I feel when I go into like the grocery store or something now. On that note, let's end this episode. Thanks Bailey for being here.
1: Always. Thank you, Andy.
0: Scott, thank you. Wouldn't miss it. Don't forget to Subscribe and rate Let's Pod This on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're now on Amazon as well, um, so you can listen from your smart device. Just tell them to play Let's Pod This, and they should play it, which is a fancy party trick for someday when we get to have parties again. You can follow us on social media at Let's Fix This Okay. Scott is at SC Melson. Bailey is at Bailey M. Perkins, and I, Andy, am at OKC. Like in our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Let's Fix This Okay. Go to our website, let'sfixthisok.org, for all the news you can use, details about upcoming events, even virtual ones, um, such as the election night show, which we are still planning to have virtually on November 3rd. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. We strive to educate and equip everyday Oklahomans with tools and resources to engage with your government in meaningful ways. We encourage you to get involved any way you can. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week.